1: Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia Coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home... Have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb
0: while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations
0: at canva.com, designed for work. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young
1: voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. What matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking cashing out to build wealth on your own terms with Julian and Kirsten Saunders. (laughs)
0: Right, our friends Julian and Kirsten Saunders are joining us on the podcast today. Uh, they started their site Rich and Regular back in 2017 after they threw themselves into the financial independence movement. That's when they paid off 200 thousand dollars in debt, and they've you know at this point they've been featured virtually everywhere: <laughs> The Times, The Atlantic, Bloomberg. They're successful speakers. They're you know they've created a fantastic YouTube series called Money on the Table, and now they are about to be published authors. Their book, Cashing Out win the wealth game by walking away. It actually comes out next week. And in the book, they write about creating your own career path. They talk about making peace with your finances and building wealth on your own terms. And so we're excited to talk about all of that and more today. Thank y'all for joining us today, friends. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.
2: We're excited to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it, it has we, been, we been a We have not minutes. had many
1: repeat guests, but it's. Uh, well, we also don't really have guests all that frequently. But of course, we saw... <laughs> our our good pals right up the street from us Julian and Kirsten coming out with the book we definitely got to talk to y'all again and of course uh, you you guys were on the show about three years ago episode 86 that was so long ago a long time ago we were different people back then Yeah, we were pre pandemic we've all changed I think uh, a lot and so yeah I'm curious to hear now Uh, I think uh, Kirsten last time you said that your craft beer equivalent was a good bottle of wine Uh, but yeah what what now what do y'all consider as like something you're willing to splurge on while you're saving and investing? For the future?
2: Yeah. So um, I think my splurge is I have a membership to a sauna studio. So basically, oh. I pay somebody to let me sit in a hot box and sweat. Okay. Um, but it feels so nice. And so I would say that it's not a splurge because it's super expensive, but it's a splurge because it's kind of weird and niche because it's out there it. yeah. yeah yeah first
1: person i've met doing that but uh i know they sell saunas at costco by the way Kirsten, if you ever want one like in your house you can like, i am
2: obsessed three like,
1: thousand dollars you can
0: have one in your garage that's right. Yeah. That's right tomorrow
2: they're on my wish list on amazon <laughs> so amazon's always like hey it's on sale but i don't know where i put it like i that's the okay. problem <laughs> on the
0: roof well <laughs> have julian build you out a new new little space yeah just for the sauna this has got just it. a health and wellness center <laughs> up the uh <laughs> Saunders Retreat. That's right. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Julian? Have have things changed for you? Because I I think I remember yours being one of those fancy. It wasn't a Green Egg. It was one of those other fancy grills or smokers. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got the
3: Kamado Joe, which is. You uh, still rocking that? Oh yeah, I still rock with my Kamado Joe. I'm Team Kamado all day. Um, I will say what I've been splurging on is just like content, right? So I just splurged, and it's not that much of a splurge. But considering there are free alternatives, I just bought Luminary. Uh, which Mm. is like a private podcast uh, network, which I've just really, really enjoyed. Um, There's just something to high quality, thoughtful, high produced content that I really, really appreciate. If that doesn't qualify for your game, then I would say, (laughs) (laughs) no, I I go to a bougie. uh, When I do decide to get a haircut, I I go to one of those bougie appointment only barbershops where you get a haircut and like you can even get your hand dipped. I've never got my hand dipped, but I get like a...
1: I don't even know what that means, like in
3: wax or something? Yeah, Yeah. it's like they dip it in wax for some weird... I don't know what happens or what that does, probably something to do with my cuticles. Um, But it's a very bougie situation. I show up and they ask me if I want like a bear or something. Like it's pretty cool.
0: Oh, that's the kind of... That's where I need to go. Yeah. (laughs) You can hang on to the, the hand wax, although I have heard about that. It's nice and warm, right? It like locks yeah. in the moisture, yeah. that uh-huh. whole thing. I got a table, I nice. like a
3: head massage. I oh guess. my
0: gosh. Yeah. I
1: feel Obviously. like I'm doing life wrong right now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking to y'all. <laughs> Generally
0: speaking, I'm already relaxed just <laughs> hearing about the things that y'all do. Living vicariously. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And it is interesting to, to think through how just our priorities change over time. Mm-hmm. And that's true with the things that we, uh, you know, that we treat ourselves to. But let's dive in and let's, let's dive into the book specifically. What was the the inspiration to write this book? Um, and, and specifically, too, the, the significance of the name cashing out. We would love to kind of hear you talk about the book before we kind of dive into the yeah, book. It's got a nice ring to it.
3: Thank you. Um, you know, I think the inspiration, there's several, but the one that I, you know, think about probably the most is... You know, when I first found this movement and I just remember being so frustrated by not being able to share that excitement with the people that I knew and loved. I would find podcasts like yours and others and blogs and all these things and I would just be like, man, this is life changing stuff. And I'd go to share it with like friends and family and co-workers and they just did not share the same excitement as I did. And it was largely because they just did not identify with the people who were centered uh, in some of those stories. In some cases, mm-hmm. they didn't identify with the people that were that were sharing the stories or sort of teaching some of this information. And I, I realized, quite honestly, like my privilege, right, as someone who grew up in Brooklyn but spent the second half of my life in New York, as someone who's had a privilege of traveling internationally and being able to. Uh, sort of straddle multiple fences and and even went through a period of considering myself a global citizen. Like it's a lot easier for me to blend in without losing a sense of identity. Uh, And I think as I started to think about that in my own experience, it was easier for me to grab on and latch onto some of these messages. And so I just didn't want Hmm. our community to miss out on it because they didn't have the experiences that I did. Uh, And rather than force or, or complain, right, about other people's platforms who may not necessarily do everything possible to reach out to uh, African Americans. I was like, well, that's 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 my job, right? That's something that mm. I think I can do um, as a creative, as a writer, as someone who has the, the means to step out and kind of take on creative work without really needing it to make money immediately. Um, you know, we took it upon ourselves as as a challenge. And so when we start thinking about one of the absolute most powerful ways that we could contribute to the culture, um, it's to write a book, right? And one of the other things, just with respect to the title, Cashing Out, is also realizing that people just didn't really identify, you know, that stubborn RE on the end of fire really kind of got in the way. <laughs> and so it was really just a matter of kind of taking the parts of the idea that we thought resonated the most with our community, giving it a different use case and say, hey, this is something that is relevant for you. We're not going to call it that. We're going to strip away all the parts that you don't like, give you a different use case, grounded in some data, grounded in narrative and in characters um, and in lives that you actually do identify with and make this relevant for you. And so that's really where uh, the motivation for the book and the term cashing out uh, came to be.
1: Yeah. I feel like the RE is kind of Part uh, the, the financial independence movement, I totally get behind, and then the RE kind of loses me <laughs> to a certain yeah. extent. And I think, so, especially early on in the movement, there was a lot of. A lot of uh, intentionality placed on those last two letters. It was kind of uh, running away from something as opposed to running to something, and that's what kind of lost me, at least. But let's talk about your particular story because you know y'all have paid off like a significant chunk of debt. You've become sophisticated investors. You've built a business that's helping tons of folks. You're you're like standing in the gap, really. Like what I heard you say there, Julian, is that y'all are filling a void that. There was people like you, your voices were needed out there. and but but you also say that you were living the black American dream, but that you were naive. That's what you say in your book. So I'm curious, like what were you naive to? What did that look like?
2: I think we were naive to how far meritocracy would take us. So far, we had climbed up the ladder. We had done all the right things, gone to school, got the job got you know the accomplishments that we were supposed to get. And I think we assumed naively that that would continue for the rest of our lives. And there mm. became a point where we realized that the wage gap was growing more severe. We were passed up for promotions that we thought, that we knew we were qualified for, and that we in many times deserved because we were already doing the work. We started to encounter the challenges that come with aging parents who are underprepared for retirement. And so as we started to think about all of the hurdles that we would need to face, we realized that the path to just keep working a job for 40 years, expecting to get reasonable raises and promotions to keep up with the cost of living was just not as reliable of a strategy for, for us as it was for some of our peers.
0: I mean, this is kind of what you're hinting at, but in your book, you say that the math is simple, but black life isn't. And so you kind of, you're enumerating some of those points. Can you, Can you talk a little bit? more about what you mean by that?
3: Yeah, so I think one of the biggest examples, uh, and again, this really comes out of having and being willing to have uncomfortable conversations, and, and if there's one thing I have mastered over the years, is just kind of forcing that issue at the worst times, like, oh, let's go out for cocktails tonight, it's like, yeah, and then we get there and I was like, have you heard of this thing called the sandwich generation? You know, and it's like, it's a huge issue for us. Right. Uh, and so the sandwich generation, this idea that there are people who are financially responsible for supporting both children and uh, aging parents is something that if you're if you're rel- relatively familiar with personal finance and in, in, in that world, maybe you've come across that term. But when you start to look at some of these things through a racial lens, uh, one of the things we realize is that while that may be an issue for a wide, broad set of people, You know, I think for black people specifically, it's a really, really big challenge because what it really means is that because your parents, more often than not, will be significantly less prepared for their own retirements, you're going to be financially responsible for supporting them much sooner than you anticipated, right? And so when we start talking about how complex black life is, it's, well, well, how do we solve for that? Um, how do we also reconcile the fact that like, uh, here I am, like as the first person that, you know, maybe made it to college and is getting a good job. Um, and it's like, I have this desire to sort of build my own life. Maybe you have a child and now you've got to then think about, well, how do I ensure that my child's behind me can do some of those things? And all of these are things that I think most people can identify with. But I think the layer on top of that is like, all right, well, one on average, you are paid less for the same work than your white peers. If you're a black woman, you're paid even significantly less. I think the number is around mm-hmm. 67 cents to a dollar. So how do we apply some of these general rules of thumb when there are these other forces that are, that, that overcomplicate um, our saving and our investing? How do we solve for that when we know that we are likely going to be financially responsible for supporting our parents sooner than many of our white peers? Um, how, do we, how do we even... Start a business. How do do we, you know, try to own a home when we know that by and large our communities and the property values of those homes don't appreciate at the same rates as others? And so it just after a while just gets so complex. Mm -hmm. We just start to realize that why people just say it is what it is. Right. We just sort of hide behind the comfort of these cliches and just ignore any of these issues and just do what's safe. Right, you're not going to take any risk, you're not going to start a business because it's just not worth it. Like, you know, your parents fought to get you where you are, and now they're reliant on you, and you've got kids, and you just it just all of that I think leads to repeating the cycle. And um, we wanted to at least shine the light on a way of thinking and a pathway that we think could solve for some of the issues that we know our community is facing.
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe the face of the fire movement at times has been just extremely youthful, maybe dual income, no kids, living that van life sort of thing. And it looks it looks one way, but, but y'all have brought like a maturity, uh, a voice that reflects just a lot of different considerations that need to be made if you still want to pursue financial independence and take care of your family at the same time. And the, the premise of your book is that you should get ahead financially and then quit your job. <laughs> That's a, a lot of what you're speaking to. I'm curious, though, when you guys, it sounds like also when you first heard about the FIRE movement, you were instantly skeptical. Like, what what caused that skepticism? And then what made you maybe come around to thinking, wait a second, this is for me, this is what I want to pursue, and this is the right path forward for, for us as a couple and for our family?
2: Yeah, I think I was the more skeptical one. And I think it was because I was in a mindset where I felt like I needed to adopt every principle of whatever financial philosophy they were presenting I didn't Mm -hmm. know that you could pick and choose, that you could customize, Mm -hmm. because back then, that was the way financial advice was kind of set up. It was like, follow these seven steps, do these three things, don't buy lattes, don't do this. And it was very, like, rule-oriented. And so I didn't feel like I had the flexibility to adjust this way of living. And when I would look at what they were doing the budgets, where they were living, what was included in the budget, what wasn't. I was just like, I already know I got expenses that aren't counted here. I got a hair care expense. <laughs> I got hair removal expense.
1: I I'm got, not seeing a sauna membership uh, yeah, in any I of these line items. want to go
2: to. <laughs> and so it just didn't feel like it was going to be sustainable. It read as deprivation to me. And I know now mm. that's not what they were experiencing, but that's how it read to me at the time. And I think when I came around to it was when I started exposing myself to more voices and when I got offline and met people in real life. So starting Mm -hmm. to attend, you know, the FinCons, the conferences, the meetups where you realize that the fire community, the financial independence community is more than just bloggers. Like bloggers are like 1% of this (laughs) large money savvy community. Most people are sane and rational and just don't have time to like type all their thoughts into a website.
1: But they busy having fun. (laughs) Nerding out on all the specific math equations of fire.
2: Exactly. And once I realized like, Oh, that cool couple we met at the bar in Thailand or that nice family that stopped, and talk to us in Charleston, like that's the essence of the community. I started to be open and realize like, that's actually the life I want. I want to be able to pay for a young couple's meal secretly, or just give an encouraging word to a mom who might be struggling with her kid. I think about all of those moments that I've had. And a lot of those have been enabled by people who were financially stable enough to afford to like slow down and really just Mm. take advantage of life and be kind to people.
0: It's not only a bunch of folks who are... (laughs) Taking advantage of all of the hacks and finding mm-hmm. ways to be frugal at every at every turn, but simultaneously, it's it's also not folks who are living life extremely lavishly. Yeah. And you kind of talk about this uh, in, in your book as well. You talk about the idea of stealth wealth, uh, and it seemed like for y'all that that was sort of a game changer. In your perceptions of financial independence, is is that right? Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that?
3: It was because, um, you know, when I thought about stealth wealth, I kind of thought about it as a cure for what is considered black excellence. Um, and, and I apologize if I'm like using one, you know, abstract term to to define another. But what I mean by black excellence is it, it's it's a phrase within the black community that is used to describe. Uh, sort of the spirit of endless resilience and hard work but also acceptance that you're going to have to work harder than your peers just to get a fair shot but it's also like used as a term of like celebration right like whenever you see someone that's doing well or they're breaking ground it's like hashtag back Excellence. so you just sort of speak to Mm -hmm. it and there's like this deep sense of pride but we like to look at both sides of the coin and on the other side of that coin what we saw was exhaustion and uh, burnout and pressure and, and, and loneliness and not really knowing who to turn to or who you can relate to, or, or just like the struggle of just trying to relate to your 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 community because you may come across as a bit removed. And so there were consequences to it. And what Stealth Wealth really shined a light on is that well you you can kind of find a better balance, but it will require you to let go of some of the glitz and all of those other things, right? Even down to the things that we take pride in, like. We've reached a point now where I think for some people, we don't have to accept abuse in exchange for upward mobility, right? There are much mm-hmm. easier ways and a much wider set of ways to, um, to, to to earn income and to build wealth these days than there were even 10 or 20 years ago. And so those are some of the things that we really wanted to um, focus on, not just in our messaging for our, our, our book, but pretty much in any of the conversations and exchanges that we would have with people. It's just giving them license to kind of let go of some of these things and say, hey, there's a simpler path to yes. still getting to where you want to go that doesn't require you to be pretty much a superhero within your family and your mm. community.
1: hmm. All right. Well, one of the most fascinating things in, in the new book that you guys are, are just about to release is when you talk about actually uh, only having a 15 year long career. Most people think about careers as being most of their life, 40 years or, or longer. And, and so we, well, we have a couple questions to ask you about that, why that is such a sticking point for you guys and why you think it's such a good idea for people to pursue a shorter career. We'll, we'll get to that right after this. wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare
0: and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet.
1: Finance smarter. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Cachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. Dot com slash how to money that's spelled K A C H A V A and get ten percent off your first order that's K A C H A V A dot com slash how to money
0: All right, we're back from the break, talking with Julian and Kirsten Saunders and Joel. Forget the the fifteen year mortgage. Let's talk about the uh, <laughs> the fifteen year career. You might need both. Yeah. <laughs> both seem like uh, wise paths to take. But for real, y'all y'all have a, an entire chapter. Dedicated to the 15-year career, and uh, most folks, yeah, they're they're going to say that that seems pretty ridiculous. Sh- you know, yeah, you should be looking at 30 to 40 years. Uh, but talk to us about the stages of a 15-year career and, and why you think it's just a much better approach.
2: Yeah, the 15-year career was really just about challenging the narrative that careers have to be this lifelong pursuit because the challenge when you make something a lifelong pursuit is that it becomes a part of your identity and so leaving that career or pivoting out of a career that may not be sustainable or profitable Mm. for your family is much, much harder to do. So it's less about the years required, but more so about beginning with the end in mind, the same way that we begin K through 12 elementary school. We know that after 12th grade, something happens. You either go for more degrees or you go to work or you go to the military, whatever you decide. But the length of that journey is 12 years before you need to do something else. The same is true for a number of other milestones in our life. Our careers are the only one where we kind of just come up with this arbitrary age of like 65 is when you can be done. And Mm -hmm. so the 15 year career is meant to have you think about your time working in chunks. And the way that we've kind of broken it up in the book is the first five years is really dedicated to building a strong financial foundation. You're focused on frugality. If you're in debt, you're paying that off aggressively. You're setting up good budget habits. And you're really just kind of, again, establishing solid financial footing. The second five years is about skill building and learning to navigate your workplace for what it's good for. Corporate America has been a great training ground for a lot of people in teaching them soft skills and helping them build a professional network. Many companies offer benefits that allow you access to learning and training from great universities. So take advantage of all of that stuff, build up your skills, start to understand how you can then trade those skills in for financial capital, meaning get promoted or get new jobs. And then the third five years is really about, oh, and sorry, in the second five years, you're also investing. Uh, the <laughs> okay, third, right? yeah. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, in the third five years is really about practicing monetizing those skills outside of your current employer. And mm-hmm. if you don't have to do that, that's great. If you've found an employer that continues to pay you and get promoted and, and offer you opportunities for financial growth, that's great. But for a lot of us, you lose kind of that momentum in your in your current employer there's been tons of research that says the best way to get a significant salary increase is to actually leave your job. And so the third 5 years is about learning how to monetize and create different income streams outside of your traditional employer. So it could look like a number of things going to apply for new jobs, to test the value of your skills in the marketplace. It can look like taking on new assignments, it can look like setting up for contract and freelance work outside of your nine to five, maybe starting a side hustle or a business. It's just teaching you the difference between wages and salary, which is one form of income, and the rest of the series of streams of income that you can create just by, again, taking your skills and the value that you bring and exchanging it in a different marketplace than your employer.
1: Yeah, I think what you're what you're getting at too, Kirsten, a little bit there is is the fact that employers are, certainly aren't loyal to workers in the same way that they used to be in our parents' generation, and so we should be less loyal as well in order to think more about our own career and less about uh, just like moving up in the same organization that we started in.
3: You know, and if I could just add, so yes, and I also think that it, it, it's about time that we have that conversation courageously, right, without it feeling like it's a big taboo, right? like it's not mm-hmm. it's not a surprise anymore, right. Gen Z already understands this they're mm-hmm. communicating it very loud and clearly. I think for us it's it's the it's the boomers and the geriatric millennials of the world <laughs> that are really still kind of holding on to some of the lessons that we were taught right but yeah like to your point it's so clear um, I think that what we really you know one of the things that I think is missing from the impact of the fire movement is the impact that it has on the future of work what it means for employers uh, how do you attract or retain financially independent employees um, it's just a completely different approach than you would people who are without question, reliant on the income and therefore the job and hopeful for promotion. The way that they approach work, their needs, the way that they need to be managed is completely different. And I think even when we go back to what Kirsten was saying, the idea of everyone putting themselves in a position where they can walk away, like that's just a sense of empowerment that I think everyone deserves. Right? Mm -hmm. Everyone deserves that ability to be able to walk away from a job like for a variety of reasons, whether it's for health issues, mental issues, to raise your children, or just because you you know, you maybe have been dealing with some traumatic experiences at work, like you 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 deserve the right to be able to walk away with your integrity and with some financial stability. And so that's really why we wrote that chapter, was to say, well, here's how we were able to do it here's what you should be doing throughout that 15-year process, which by the way, you can start at any point, right? It can be right out of Mm -hmm. college, or you can be in the middle of your career and then say, all right, I'm on a 15-year wind down period. But yeah, that's really what it was about. It's just like helping people sort of regain some of the control over their financial lives and their personal lives that right now uh, they don't really have.
0: I think what you said there is is so good, how employers are having to take a look at re-examine how it is that they can retain talent or why it is that employees are, are wanting to work because you know we think that folks can find a lot of meaning and, and personal satisfaction and fulfillment within their work, right? Like, it doesn't have to be something we we escape from. But yeah, like, what are your thoughts on that? Can you share what you believe about finding fulfilling work? Uh, How do you, I guess, balance the the idea of, of cashing out, right, which is the name of your book with sort of the idea of finding sort of satisfaction and meaning
3: within your work? I think finding fulfillment work is, is, is like a prize, right? Like, that's, what we do. We do fulfilling work. Um, It's something that we own. We are um, in agreement with the sort of power dynamic between us and any of the clients that we work with or the people that are customers of ours. Um, And and it's, to me, honestly, a dream come true, right? We get to do work that we're proud of, that has um, impact in things that matter to us. Uh, we have control over what we can say, when we say it. Uh, we don't have to ask anyone uh, to take time off, right? Like it's a much, it's a very free and fulfilling experience. I think everyone deserves that. I think everyone, for the most part, desires that, but they don't quite know how to get there, right? And that's where all of the, the, the sort of debt payoff and like being um, a bit financially savvy with respect to investing, but also. Identifying other ways where you can create income that you control uh, on your own terms comes into play. Uh, so it, it's complex. It's multi-pronged for sure. Right. But that's that's what's required these days because not everyone can afford to just go out there and get a high-paying job that allows them to live a high quality of life uh, while still doing work that they believe in. Like Most people have to make trade-offs. Um, yeah. And so what we're trying to do is create and shine a light on a path and, or an approach that allows people to check a few more of those boxes that are important to them.
1: And hopefully, at, at the end of that 15 years, by the way, the, uh, of that 15-year career, you are able to maybe make less money to work for yourself and to do something you enjoy more. There Absolutely. are all sorts of ways to kind of leave the workforce and not still need that same paycheck. You can find ways to get by on less because you've been good with money and uh, for the ability to get to do exactly what you love. That's a that's a great trade-off for a lot of folks too.
2: Yeah, I think it gives people the break that they need or the, the the milestone that they need that corporate America doesn't naturally give you or that the workplace doesn't naturally give you to reevaluate what matters to you. I think we treat fulfillment as if it's this fixed point in our lives, but the truth is what was fulfilling to mm-hmm. us when we were in our 20s and 30s may not be fulfilling to us in our forties and fifties, but if we right. never stop to actually ask ourselves, do I still enjoy this thing the way that I need to? Mm-hmm. Is it still as fulfilling as it was when I was younger or living in a different area or the student makeup was different or the school was less crowded, whatever it is. You you, you deserve that. You deserve an opportunity to be like, actually, I don't know that I wanna do another round of this. I don't know that I got another 30 years in the tank. And what the 15-year career enables you is like a set point to say, okay, you've done enough good work, you've done enough good financial kind of setup to actually ask yourself, is this something I want to continue doing or do I want to pivot into doing right. something different or do I just want to stop altogether?
1: You yeah. have given yourself the option at that point.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I mean, what you're you're talking about, like you said, reassessing, reexamining. In order to determine if it is time to quit, like what are some of the questions that you recommend for folks to ask themselves? How do you evaluate whether or not it's time?
2: I think one of my favorite questions is, uh, who is this job teaching me to be? What kind mm. of person is Ooh. this job teaching me to be? That was one of the questions that... I asked myself when I was preparing to quit because I didn't feel ready and I had to admit to myself that I may never feel ready. So I need a different question instead of like a yes or no kind of close ended question. And so when I started to think about who the job was teaching me to be, what I was becoming by continuing to sit in this position, it was, you know, someone who needs direction someone who creates projects but can't quite finish them because of lack of organizational alignment Someone who doesn't have the autonomy to recruit and train and develop employees the way that I want to. And as I went through the list, it wasn't all negative. <laughs> it sounds like it was all negative. <laughs> but when I went through the list, it was like, I actually would not, like if this was a movie, I wouldn't finish it. <laughs> like why am I, <laughs> why am I doing this? And I it's had a been there it, long. Yeah, I had been like, there long enough to know kind of how this thing is. We've all watched a movie where it's like, oh, I know what's going to happen they about to fall off this roof. And then somebody (laughs) so, like, I could see the plot unfolding. And when I realized that the job wasn't going to give me the kind of development and growth that I was looking for, I started looking for other things besides the job. And it became Mm. very easy to see how my time was being spent wasn't conducive to the actual goals that I have for my life.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things y'all talk about, and that you guys have done a really good job of, you grabbed some digital real estate, you've been kind of tilling the soil online in an effort to grow a following, make a difference, but also in order to generate income. and so uh, that that's really what you did with your blog. You guys have a podcast now too. you've got the book. And so how do you encourage others to think about maybe creating something online that can lead to monetization? Because I have been fascinated in recent years by people I meet who do completely different things and they make a living on the web, sometimes based around Instagram, sometimes based around a blog. Like, it's amazing the different ways people can make money. There are new ways today that we hadn't heard about three months ago. Exactly, and I'm one of those geriatric millennials who's like, gee whiz, really? You can do that? I mean, I don't know. Talk to us about how
3: you kind of think about making money online. Yeah. And so I'm really, you know, it really goes back to what we spoke about in the book. And it's the idea of using the skill sets that you learned in corporate America and applying it outside of your job. And so my last corporate job was, I spent, you know, probably the last 10 years of my job in in a variety of marketing roles. And one of the things that I got an up close um, sort of tutorial on was influencer marketing. And I remember, quite honestly, like I would imagine most older uh, people, geriatric millennials, like, <laughs> there was a certain stigma attached to that term, right? Influencers were, you know, self-obsessed people who take pictures of themselves all day and um, they just spend their entire days on social media. And I really started to think about it differently and start looking at it more so in terms of content marketing. And now I think it's safe to say that influencer marketing has blossomed into what I think is a more generally um, accepted term or more mature term, which is the creator economy. Uh, And so that's where we are now. And so I think if there are people out there who are interested in it, um, I think first they need to shed that original belief of who influencers are uh, and Think about what it really means to be a creator and the reality is content marketing is something that companies pay a lot of money for every single year and you as a creator have an opportunity to um, solve some of those problems because some of the content that they create in our case it could be any number of organizations or companies who spend millions of dollars on marketing um, but can't quite reach a particular audience that we have direct access to but we can charge for that access, for the design and the distribution of that messaging. And so in many ways, we are a multimedia um, content and media production company, right? That's that's sort of the language that they would use. Uh, and so I would say uh, that. But one of the things that we share in the, in the book is the sort of final story that really kind of tipped the scale for us. And it was one of the last projects that I worked on, which was an influencer marketing project. And I was working for a travel company. And I remembered... Um, cutting a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars so that we could um, pay influencers to stay at the hotels uh, and the hotel brands that were owned by the company. Long story short, when I reached back out to our PR team just to kind of figure out how that money was divided and how much people were paid, this was back in 2016, I believe, I uncovered that one of the guys that I'd really sort of been drawn to was paid $10,000 to take a vacation vacation. Uh, to one of our resorts with his daughters and eat at our restaurants. And I just remember thinking that like there are non-celebrities in the world <laughs> that are being paid $10,000 to take a vacation. Five uh,
0: figures five to figures go on
3: vacation. Five figures to yeah. go yeah, opening. on vacation. And I was just fascinated by that because I was thinking yeah. like, well, one, I can do that.
0: Um, I can vacate. I can take a vacation. I think I know how to
3: take a vacation. Um, And it's not to diminish what he does or what any of these other influencers do, but it was really just to say hey, because at that time I remember fighting for a $10,000 raise that I knew I deserved. And they knew I deserved it. But what I, instead of getting the raise, what I got was more responsibility and opportunity to prove that I deserved what I already deserved. Uh, and I just I just couldn't quite wrap my head around it. I was like, here I am paying someone $10,000 to take a vacation. And I'm fighting, you know, as a brand manager with all of this prestige and, you know, all of this stuff. And it was like, I'm fighting for it. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so I said, like, you know what? I I can do that, right? I can do this amongst other things. And to your point, we've been able to not just do that in terms of creating content for social media, but I think doing it in a way that I like to think is truly creative and uh, unique in the space and, and adds value and isn't just kind of e- easy to ignore, right? Like a lot of it is also purpose driven or community based. Uh, and that's work that we're really proud of. And so, um, you know, for us, it's. It's been a really interesting um, endeavor, and it's something that I think a lot of people should actually explore. You don't have to do it full time, but going back to what we were saying about, you know, taking part in this idea of a fifteen-year career, it can be something that you do part time, and you only have to do it a couple of times, and it could be more than enough to fund a Roth IRA for that year, mm-hmm. or to help expedite a debt, um, a debt payoff plan, or something along those lines. And so uh, that's that's really how we how we think about it
0: let shift gears. We're talking about how you can make money and in, in some of the different ways we side hustle, that we take on these additional gigs to fund the different goals that we've got set before us. One of the other factors that contributes to your ability to reach financial independence and uh, to, to cash out is by keeping your spending in check. You know, we talked about stealth wealth earlier, but how how do y'all keep yourselves from moving the goalposts? Uh, how do you keep yourselves uh, content without sort of shifting? I don't know, changing the filters on on what you consider uh, to be sort of this goal of happiness.
2: Yeah, it's an ongoing process. Um, There's a couple of things in our book that we had to create to kind of address this ongoing relationship. The first is that, you know, we know about financial rules. And so we do have at the end of every chapter some rules. And these are the hills that we're willing to die on. These are the things that we believe that are evergreen. Things like, you know, spend less than you make pay yourself first, make sure you're investing along the way. But then there are these rituals and it's a, it's a practice, a habit of asking yourself and checking in with yourself to make sure that your strategy is still working. And so that is something that I think a lot of people don't do. They kind of treat their personal finance strategy like a driver's license, where it's like I tested once at 16, <laughs> I got my license, all I do is just kind of renew it you know, every 10 years and that's what it is but the relationship you have with your money is far more personal and and kind of um, fluid and so it's really important that you start to build in the habit of getting qualitative data and not just quantitative data mm. And Mm -hmm. then all of that is underpinned by another concept that we teach in the book called the purpose of income. And this is really our North Star for how we treat budgeting, how we treat earning, how we find our enough line, is that we really have a purpose for our income. And the purpose for us is freedom. It's to buy our time back. It's to feel confident about the decisions that we're making and yes there is a number or a guideline for financial independence but financial freedom is more of a state of mind it's more of an approach to earning and and abundance and understanding how money flows. This sounds very woo-woo, but it's a it's a very yeah, different yeah. approach to financial security and freedom. And so
1: we- You don't have to have a million dollars in the retirement account in order to have a little bit of peace out money, have a lot of security and be like, you know what? The world is my oyster now and I can make a whole lot of decisions that just six months or a year ago, I didn't have at my disposal.
3: And And oh, by the way, you could have all of those things and still feel like at any moment, someone or yeah. something could take it away from you. Right, and yeah. we talk about that in the book. We've met people like that, and you know, rather than shame them, like we sort of really think about it and dive into it and say, like, what, well, what is it? And that's what to Kirsten's point, it was, it was a matter of saying, like, well, this isn't a number at all. It's not a destination at all. It's a constant. It's a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that you have and understand needs to be uh, reevaluated and honed and maintained on a regular basis. Uh, and I think you know, there's a lot of freedom in that because I think a lot of people. Struggle there, right? They they pick a plan, it starts working, and then they just stick with it, right? Yeah. Regardless of what's happening in the world or in their lives around them. And so, you know, for us on a personal level, it's 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 sort of abiding by that framework that we've we've communicated uh, to you guys earlier. But it's also a matter of understanding what's working for us at this moment in time, um, which is shifting our focus. And so, right now, our focus is on doing. Powerful work—it's working for us. Um, creative work, meaningful work, uh, things that we enjoy, and, and focusing more on income, right? And we, um, you know, we're pretty happy with the way that things have turned out so far.
0: Focus on that income because there's only so much you can cut back on. There's a there's a floor, and we talk about how there's unlimited potential upside when it comes to to earning more. Mm-hmm. Uh, y'all are married. Uh, y'all are a couple, <laughs> and so I'm sure that means y'all have no fights no money fights right (laughs) 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 just kidding Uh, we we all have disagreements with our partners and so after the break actually we're going to talk a little bit about how you can talk well about money with your partner we'll get to that right after this
1: Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart
0: financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms
1: apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Cachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. Dot com slash how to money that's spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off your first order. That's kachav dot com slash how to money.
0: Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop mm-hmm. they were fresh out of the oven they had that perfectly flaky crust but guess what that serendipitous experience would never had happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel we had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of
1: town thanks to airbnb Ah, oh, man i'm still dreaming about those meat pies you're making my <laughs> you're making me drool and while turning to airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough.
0: Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. All
1: right, we're back. We're still talking with Julian and Kirsten Saunders about cashing out in order to build wealth on your own terms, and they're this like super sweet lovey-dovey couple who uh, knows a ton about money. They're always so sweet. That's right, especially to each other. Like Matt, they never. I can never see either of them saying a harsh word uh, for, uh, towards the other. But you guys, you actually take a, a long, uh, a hard look at relationship dynamics in your book and and how money. Uh, infiltrates the, it, can, it can actually you know take down a relationship. It's actually the, the number one cause for for divorce. and and part of your intentionality with saving and investing, you said in the book was to take that possibility off the table, right that was that part of the motivation to pursue financial independence?
2: Yeah, we knew that money and arguments about money was the number 1 reason, so we said if we're going to get divorced or separate then we going it's going to be number 2, 3 or 4. <laughs> like we really didn't want to, like that was our way of like kind of tilting the odds in our favor in hmm. the absence of like you know, some people have a very strong religious conviction or some other kind of spiritual conviction to keep them married and ours was far more pragmatic. Just to say, like, the way that we're going to tilt the odds is just to take this off the table. And so we focused on that being a core part of of our union is making sure that we had a solid financial plan and that we created goals together and that we would reevaluate whenever we missed or made a goal to understand, like, OK, well, did we set the goal realistically what happened, how can we prevent this from going this way again, or how can we accelerate it going forward? And so it's just become a natural part of our relationship.
1: And even if you do have, let's say, a religious conviction about marriage and what it means for you and for your spouse... What a nice thing (laughs) to have, not just the number one cause of divorce, but the number one reason that people argue, right? right? That just causes division. Even if you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's no way we're not going to stay together. It still causes a lot of friction, unnecessary friction, and eliminating that, it just makes life a lot better.
2: Yeah, it does. I actually, it's funny because I actually um, gave a talk to a, a women's group a couple of weeks ago about why money conversations were so hard in relationships. And one of the things that I cited was that technology has kind of changed the way that we partner up. 30 years ago, you were likely to marry somebody like from your neighborhood or you know your general town that grew up very similar to you. And so the values conversations never really kind of came up. But with the mm. onslaught of you know aviation where you can fly to different cities, you've got dating <laughs> apps, you've got people who go to school in different cities, we're just a lot more mobile as a country. And so the reality is you can marry somebody that grew up completely different than you. And That's so nice. as you're both bringing your money stories into the relationship, and this is this is our story, there's going to be some conflicts because one person feels like, oh, this is definitely the way that it should or shouldn't go. And the other person might have a totally different view. And so mm-hmm. understanding that that is normal and a, a side effect of kind of how the society and the social fabric of our country has changed... Really helps people kind of get past the first step, which is like usually people feel bad if there's conflict in their relationship or if Mm. they're if they have encountered some money obstacles, they start to feel like, oh, shoot, maybe this is not as solid as I thought it was. And it's like, no, this is you need to learn how to talk about these things.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the the how these arguments begin to take place. Uh, Certainly, I think technology is, is certainly a contributing factor to that. So let's talk about what to do then about it. So instead of nagging and blaming, in your book, you say there's a phrase that you can use instead. To learn more about about what your partner is feeling, can you can you share that with us and, and talk a little bit more about that?
3: Sure. So the phrase is is tell me more.
0: There you go. <laughs> yeah, even as I'm saying
3: it, <laughs> it's like tell me more, right? Um, and and it's something that I had to learn the hard way because again, I had very strong and I still do, but at the time I had very strong beliefs about money and the and the importance of frugality. And and Kirsten came from a very different. Uh, Background and obviously had developed a very different point of view, and so when she would make certain recommendations, you know, it was it was almost like an automatic shutdown, right? Uh, And I had to learn like how deflating that could be, but also I had to appreciate that like at some point, you know, you have to spend money in order to nurture and grow a relationship. Doesn't mean you have to spend all of your money uh, or spend lavishly, but like this idea of. Of centering frugality at the center of everything has the potential to um, mm-hmm. place limits on the, the growth of your relationship. Even if we think about it from a standpoint of your careers, it's not uncommon for people, especially parents, that after a while, like you gotta check in and say, Babe, when was the last time we took a vacation together, right? Uh, And and I think that's one of the other reasons why that story of watching this guy get paid $10,000 to take a vacation stuck with me because, you know, we didn't have a child at the time, but we were preparing for uh, our honeymoon. And I just remember feeling this immense pressure that, wow, this is going to be the last time that we get to do something like this. And then I had to check myself and say, actually, that's not, doesn't have to be the case, right? Mm. Um, And so what are the things that we need to do differently to make sure that we don't tie ourselves to all of these unwritten rules of how relationships should be or how money should be managed. Uh, And so, yeah, like it's important to spend money not just on the things that matter to you, but also on the experiences and on building or even healing, right? Creating connections like I'm sure you know in fact i'm willing to bet there isn't a study on this but i do think that there's something to be said about the fact that 50 percent of people don't use any of the vacation that mm-hmm. they actually earn and the divorce rate right like imagine if more people were actually <laughs> able <laughs> to, people to take, take all their
1: vacation time stay married better <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i'd like to write yeah but
3: some of our favorite memories are From the vacations that we've taken together, right? And so like imagine if you were actually able to take some time just to reconnect and create new memories, um, like maybe you you would be you know, renewed, right? You could learn who your partner is now and how that's different from who they were 10 years ago. If you're anything like us, you'll actually learn how you've changed uh, Mm -hmm. and how you're different, how you sound different and have a different set of beliefs. And so, yeah, it's it's important to spend money. And it's it's crazy that we even have to say this, but this is the world that we live in. It's important to spend money, especially if spending money helps you to nurture uh, relationships with the people that you love.
0: Yeah. yeah not not only are you saying tell me more in the midst of an argument where you're trying to diffuse the situation but it, what I'm hearing you say here is that you can live that phrase. You can yeah. live out tell me more by spending that time together, looking at each other, having some of these meaningful conversations
1: proactively, you know, so that you can avoid some of these fights to begin with. Yeah. And Julian, what you were just saying there reminds me of an article I read, I don't know, a year or two, five years ago even maybe, about this janitor who had saved up something like $7 million in his retirement account. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was sadness. I was like, that's really cool that someone making a janitor salary could save up that much money, but to die with $7 million, like, What sort of win is that? (laughs) You can't take it with you. And so we do have to figure out how to, and that's the tension, right? That's the tension when it comes to finances is how do we save and invest well while sporging on things that matter here in the present for us as individuals uh, and and for our relationships, for our families. That is a tough needle to thread, but it's one we have to consistently look to. And we have to continue to thread that needle
3: so that we're not leaning too hard in one direction or the other. I applaud you so much for using that example because, uh, one, I, I think the exact same way. And so, whenever I'm watching uh, someone who is retiring, right, and they're giving their speech, and, and it just seems to be like a very consistent thing where it's very clear that their coworkers knew them better than their partner or their family Mm. did. And it's so common, right? And then they get retired and they go into this deep depression. They feel lost. They're at home with people that they don't know or that Mm. people, you know what I mean? They don't have any of those things. And I think so much of it speaks to just our obsession uh, with work culture. And so again, I applaud you for that. And and just kind of sort of rounding it out and going back to what I was saying. It's like, be open to some of these ideas. Be more open. If someone has an idea to go try something or to go somewhere or take a break or to be willing to unplug, I think all of these things are connected. But it's really on us to kind of make the decision that we're not going to be so work-obsessed that it does detrimental impact to our health or any of our interpersonal relationships. Hmm.
1: I love it. I think it's a really good note to end it on. Cashing Out is is hitting bookstores uh, this coming week, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. And so, all right, y'all, where where can uh, our listeners, where can How to Money folks find out more about you guys and what you're up to?
2: Yes, Cashing Out, as you mentioned, available June 14th, anywhere books are sold. But if you want to keep up with us and our shenanigans, you can find us at richandregular.com. <laughs> and then we're also on all of the social medias at Rich and
0: Awesome. Well, Julian, Kirsten, thank you so much for
1: joining us today.
2: Thank Thank you you.
1: All right, Matt. Always good to catch up with two of our favorite personal financers Maybe, yeah. maybe our favorite couple in the personal finance world. Oh, if for any of
0: the other couple creators out there, we like you too. But <laughs> Julian Kierson, we're talking to them today. Hey, so. I didn't have barbecue
1: with them last month. Okay, so <laughs> uh, that is true. Yeah. Well, we're pumped about the release of this book. It's it really is wonderful. And but I'm I'm curious, Matt. What was your big takeaway from our conversation today? So
0: it was when we we're talking about how to determine whether or not you're going to quit your job or not, whether it's the right time. And she said that the question to ask herself or you know that she specifically asked herself was who is this job teaching me to be? Who am I becoming? Were I to stay in this role? I think that is such a healthy way to not just look at your current circumstances and to look at the history that you have with that company and the immediate benefits you're now receiving. But hopefully by asking that question, it allows you just to look off into the future, right? Like who, if I continue on this path, who am I going to be uh, by the end of my career? I think that's just an excellent way to not let your identity get tied up into your work and instead looking proactively to the future with, you know, sort of with the end in mind. Line, as opposed to just kind of grinding it out.
1: Yeah. How's this movie going to end instead yeah. of... Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. Like, you know the direction is going, unless there's some sort of... You plot know, twist. Little, yeah. <laughs> uh, plot twist at the end. But, uh, yeah, what was your big takeaway?
1: Okay. So, I think mine was earlier on in, in the episode when, when basically when Kirsten said, you can pick and choose. Like, you don't have to necessarily follow one person or one podcast or one blog, their opinions, their advice, hook, line, and sinker all the way. And I think that is brilliant advice because maybe we... Get stuck in a rut. We start listening to someone. We're like, man, they got some good ideas. But my life looks a little different, and you know what you can do? You can you can adapt, or you can take bits and pieces from different content creators, from from different smart folks, and synthesize them, and find the way that they're going to best work for your life. So That's you can right. take a little bit of Rich and Regular, right? A little bit of Chad Carson investing in real estate, a little bit of our friend Jesse from The Best Interest, a little bit of How to Money, and you can kind of like put put together this amalgamation of good money advice from a bunch of different folks, and say, you know what? I, this is actually the best mishmash for how I want to live moving forward, and it doesn't have to be that financial independence, retire early, that quitting work in the next six or seven years, right? It's going to look different for all sorts of different people. And I think that's a good thing. But I think sometimes we think, well, my favorite creator said this, and so I must react accordingly. Well, not necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can kind of adapt that advice to the way you want to live life. Absolutely. Yeah, we're all about helping to create some independent thinkers out there. And
0: hopefully yeah, we don't that's, have
1: to become what we're doing. optimization robots. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think sometimes that's something I want to fight against. I think there's a lot of like optimization Heavy content, and I'm all for optimization up into a certain point. But when we come optimization robots, we're missing often what makes life worth living. That's so true, man.
0: All right, let's shift gears. Get to the beer that we enjoyed during this episode, during our conversation with Julian and Kirsten, and we enjoyed Valley of Gold, which is a Belgian pale ale by Wild Heaven. And this one was fermented with Belgian yeast and Brettanomyces. Uh, what were your thoughts on this beer?
1: Oh, nice pronunciation on Brettanomyces there. Normally sure. I just say Brett. (laughs) Just reading it right off the label. I thoroughly enjoyed this beer. This was so good. I was thinking it was going to be average, and this was, like, blew, blew it out of the park for me. Yeah. It yeah. had elements of that farmhouse funk going on, mm-hmm. but it was also, like, bright and vivid with, like, yes. nice hop flavors so coming through, too. For it, me, that's
0: what did it. It, yeah. it. it wasn't just this... It wasn't uh, dull. I it thought wasn't, it was going to be. Yeah, it wasn't dull and overly Belgian-y, right? Like, like it. you could totally taste some of the hop shining through, and so it was, like, this bright yeah. version of a Belgian, of a farmhouse style, and it had what i would say so much personality yeah yes. <laughs> it's like a it's like a beer with personality this was just like such a unique beer
1: uh, well, it had the gold leaf on top of the bottle. It's got bottle, this, which,
0: gold, yeah, this gold foil. Which
1: made me think that it was this gonna was, extra, extra was going to have some sort of champagne effervescence. And it did, like it felt alive. It totally did. Kind of like when you when you open some champagne. I, man, I thought this was the best beer probably I've ever had from Wild Heaven. And one of the best beers I've had in, I don't know, at least in the last few months. At least in the past week. <laughs> now, we do get to drink a lot of good beer. So on, on the label here, so this is a part of their mixed fermentation
0: series, which I hadn't heard of. But I'm glad that we got to share this one. And I am 100% going to be looking for more of this beer more from the series on the shelves wild heaven excellent job it's great seeing an atlanta brewery knock it out of the park man this episode has been all about atlanta <laughs> you and me we're here in atlanta wild heaven they're in atlanta and so is rich and regular uh and so we'll make sure to link to rich and regular some of their links as well as where you can find their
1: book which will be out next week yeah man all right that's gonna do it for this episode so until next time best friends out best friends out